Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. So things are going to look slightly different than normal. Andy was set to teach us this morning, um, working through our Matthew series. But this morning, he has had to take one of the kids for a COVID test. Everybody is totally fine, but um, they've just got to do what you got to do right now. So things are going to look slightly different. Don't worry, you're not stuck with me this morning either. We do have a bit of a super sub, and a super sub that we are so glad to introduce you to, Mike Pilavachi. Many of you will know Mike. He um, is the lead pastor of Soul Survivor Church in Watford. He is the founder of Soul Survivor, the movement. And he is a dear friend of our movement, The Vineyard. And before I hand over to Mike, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Uh, Mike is going to be teaching us this morning on what kind of church we want to be whenever we step out of lockdown. It's really important for us to see clearly how God is inviting us into his new thing and what he is inviting us into. And actually, what does it look like for us to be the kind of church that is able to carry the culture of his kingdom whenever we step out of this weird space that we find ourselves in? This is a great talk. I've been able to listen to it. I know that you're going to benefit from it. It is so clear in its invitation for us to be the people of God. But before we do that, before I hand over to Mike, let me read from John chapter 15. Mike will be uh, working his way through some of John's gospel, so do keep the gospel of John open this morning as you listen to him. But let's read John 15. Verse 1 says this, Come, Holy Spirit, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And this is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the glory of the Father, practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Here is Mike Pilavachi, everyone. Hello, my friends at the Vineyard, and um, uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be sharing with you uh, briefly. Uh, there are a few things that I would love to say as we're still at the beginning of 2021, when we've had a quite different and in many ways very difficult uh, 2020. And uh, what I've been thinking about and meditating on is what kind of church do we want to be as we come out of lockdown? And I pray that we will sooner rather than later. What kind of church would we love to be? And I really I'm talking about vision and values. And vision and values are important. Without vision, the people perish, uh, says the proverb. And, uh, and values is simply, if vision is where we're going, values is who we are, who do we want to be while we get there, our DNA. Now, some people say you don't need to describe your DNA because your DNA is who you are. Well, you don't need to describe your DNA if you're in a physical family, but actually in a spiritual family, actually describing it, actually naming it, this is who we want to be, is part of the process of getting there. And uh, I, I think that we need to really go back to knowing who we are and why we are the way we are, and because that informs what we do. I'll try and explain as we go. Uh, we want to be, I want to suggest, first of all, Jesus-centred, biblically-based and spirit-led. Now, that's nothing new. We've always wanted to be Jesus-centred, biblically-based and spirit-led. But I believe in these days, as we come out of lockdown, to, to make it our aim, our aim to focus on Jesus, to look to Jesus, for it to be all about Jesus, for us to be, first of all, worshippers of, of Jesus, uh, to, to put him before everything, uh, and to be biblically based. It's so, so important that everything we do is rooted in Scripture, is rooted in God's Word. And in these days, the temptation is coming so often for the church to, um, to cut the corners on what the Scripture says. We are not here to judge the Bible. The Bible is here to judge us. The Bible is here to shine a light on our hearts. We need to trust the Bible, trust God's Word as his ultimate revelation of himself and also his ultimate revelation of the life he calls us to live, the best life for us. And then Spirit-led. Oh my, if, these are, if there's any days, it's, it's vital to be Spirit-led, it's these days. If there's any time that we need to hunker down and we need to go back to basics and say, Lord, I won't move until you move. Like the people of Israel in the wilderness. When, when, when the pillar of fire moved, they moved. When the pillar of cloud moved, or the, the cloud moved, they moved. When they stopped, they stopped. Let's not move ahead of God. Let's follow his lead. And that takes, that's not just about spiritual gifting. It's about discipline. It's about choosing. It's about saying, we will seek your face. We will seek your face for strategy. We will seek your face for direction. 
We will seek your face for what we're going to do next. I love a little quote from John Wimber from years ago. He said, I'm not against strategy. I'm not against planning, but only after the Holy Spirit has spoken. So let's be disciplined to seek his face. Then, as part of that, to be disciplined to listening to his voice, to take time to listen, to make listening an art. I think in much of the evangelical church, and if I'm honest, what's known as the charismatic church, we've lost the art of listening. We've lost the art, some would call it contemplation, of being still and knowing he is God, of standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord. We're so, um, we're so enamoured with Mount Carmel that we spend too much time in our hearts there and not enough time on Mount Horeb. On Mount Carmel was the, was the great victory that Elijah had. But you know, straight after his victory, he went into the depths of depression. He was frightened and God took him to another mountain. If Carmel was the mountain of victory, Horeb is the mountain of encounter. And, and the Lord put uh, Elijah in the cleft of a rock and then came a great earthquake, a mighty wind and a roaring fire. But God was not in the earthquake, the wind and the fire. And I bet Elijah was especially tempted to think that God must be in the fire because God was in the fire on Mount Carmel. And the temptation is, let's just repeat what was successful last time when God says no. No, the pillar of fire's moved on, the cloud has moved on. And then came a gentle whisper, a still small voice. And that still small voice was the beginning of the answer to all of Elijah's questions. Let us spend lots of time on our Mount Horeb, on our place of encounter, that we would see more victories on the Mount Carmels that we face. So let us listen, but listening for a purpose. It's listening not just to get a word, but it's listening in order to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He also said in the same passage, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Let us be a people who will listen for the purpose of obeying and obeying because we love. Obedience is the ultimate act of worship. And as we seek to do that, and as he sees that we obey when he speaks, we will hear his voice more and more clearly. More and more clearly we will discern what is him. But we need to still our hearts. God speaks in the stillness more than he does in the noise. That's why he takes us to desert places. I heard a, 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 a story, I can't remember where from, of a farmer who was uh, putting hay in the hay barn in the harvest time, in, in the autumn, and he filled the barn with hay. And after he finished, he realised that his watch had come off while he was putting all the hay in the hay barn. And it was one of those old-fashioned antique watches um, that you would... Um, uh, that they would have and it was given to him by his grandfather and it was one of those watches that would go tick 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 and um, 
uh, he lost it and it was like, oh no, looking for a watch in a hay barn is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Stack. He looked for a while, but he couldn't find it. And then he went back to the farmhouse and as they were having dinner, he said to the family, hey, I've lost granddad's watch in the hay barn. I'll never be able to find it. His little boy, his son, maybe seven years old, said, I'll find it for you, daddy. And the father said, how are you going to find it? It's impossible. The boy, when he finished dinner, he got off this chair, he went to the, the hay barn and he went and he climbed all the haystacks and he, he lay down on his back right at the top and he lay very, very still. And as he lay still, he could, after a while, only hear his heart beating. And after a while longer of lying still, slowly, in the in the quietness, he began to hear tick, tick, tick. And then after a while longer, he began to discern where the ticking came from. He went and he found the watch. I love that as a picture of what it means to listen to the Lord. Take time, take time, listen to his voice. We build we, our aim is to build an alternative kingdom community. Our theology is a kingdom theology, not a dominion theology. Our, our theology is about building an alternative kingdom. God's kingdom, the expression of the kingdom is the church. And yes, of course we're meant to be involved in politics. Yes, of course we're meant to be involved in issues of justice. But as we've seen over the last few years, when the church of Jesus gets identified with, with one political movement and sees that as, the, as the, the coming of the kingdom, oh my goodness, we get that so wrong. We get involved in politics, we get involved in society because God loves his, his world and he wants us to serve his world and be good news in the world and he wants us to feed the hungry and, and clothe the naked and give shelter to the wanderer. He wants us to be involved in his world but we're never going to, the, the kingdom will never come in its fullness when a political party gets in, what, what, of, whether it's the left or the right or the centre. The kingdom doesn't come when we leave the European Union and the kingdom will not come if we go back into the European Union. That's not the issue. The issue is we are an expression of the kingdom and, and the ultimate expression is the church. When people look at the church, they see this is what heaven should look like. And so we, 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 we wanna build an alternative kingdom by, by our obedience, by following Jesus, by biblically, being biblically based, and also especially by being Christ-centered. And in this kingdom community, in this kingdom family, we're called to be a family that loves one another. There's only, there's only one celebrity. There's only one who is He's the one that we, we, we want to make famous and his name is Jesus. And I say this as we live in a culture that has gone celebrity mad, celebrity crazy. We get so, we get so excited when 
when some celebrity becomes a Christian or someone, a Christian leader knows someone who's a celebrity. That's not it. That's not it. It's Jesus. People need to see Jesus. People need to know Jesus. And we've got to stop putting people, human beings, on pedestals because only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus will never let us down. And I love, I love, I've been reading through, we've been reading through as a church here, um, John's Gospel. And I love that, that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know the famous guy was John the Baptist. It was, it was all about John the Baptist. And, and um, people came into the desert uh, in order to hear him speak. And uh, he, he actually, he grew up in the desert, almost certainly, because um, his parents were, 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 were very likely Nazarites, and, and he was a voice in the desert. He was a voice in the wilderness. And I've been to the deserts of Judea, and it is excruciatingly hot. It is so dry, it is so uncomfortable, that they went into the desert because there was a, a genuine voice. And we in the church, we will find our voice Instead of being an echo to be a voice, we'll find it in the desert times. And my prayer is in these days, they won't be wasted, but that we will have found our distinctive voice, not being an echo of the world around us, but having something to say, people will come. People will come, as they did for John. But do you know, they wanted to put John on a pedestal. And again and again and again, uh, he said... Um, John testified concerning Jesus, uh, uh, John 1 verse 15. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Then later on in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, come on, tell us, who are you? It's like he didn't want to tell them. It was like he wanted to say, I'm not the point. And then he replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, eventually, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then later on, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of, those sand, of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Um, and that has to be our attitude. We as the church, we point to Jesus. We live for Jesus. We love Jesus. We adore Jesus. It's all about Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. And let us be disciplined about not making it about anybody else. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. I think that should be a motto for, for every leader in the church. And if I may say it and be cheeky, especially worship leaders. You know, in the age where, where if you're a worship leader, the temptation is, is to put yourself forward. No, your job, worship leaders, musicians, is to point to Jesus get out the way, get out the way of him. There's only to be one celebrity. 
And, and another reason why this is important is, is when, we, when we make it about celebrities, we expect them to do everything for us. And what that does is it disempowers the rest of the church. It's every member ministry. We are one body with many members. And we actually is meant to give greater honour to the weaker members. Greater honour. So we honour one another. We don't just honour the people supposedly at the top. You see, it's a whole different culture to the culture of the world. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We see the value in, in others. And then as we come into land, I'm running out of time. We, 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 we live lives of generosity generosity should be the hallmark of the church. Love is defined in many ways in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13 defines it in lots of different ways. Love is kind um, and so on. But do you know what? I think the greatest definition of love, biblical love, is generosity. God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. And this is not, this is so not, my friends, um, about, about giving to church. It's so much more than that. I'm not saying you don't give to church, but it's about living lives of generosity with our finances, with our possessions, with our homes, with, with our hearts, with our, generous with our encouragement. Do you have any idea what encouragement does to people? I've had to learn that lesson again during this lockdown. I, I love cooking and um, I, I decided I really needed to be a bit more healthy. And I was, I was on my own in the house, so I couldn't cook for my friends easily. And then, do you know what? One day the thought came into my mind, why don't I cook meals for my neighbours? And we just started in our Oda WhatsApp group. And my first reaction was, don't be silly. They'll, you can't just go up to your neighbours and give them food they'll they'll be embarrassed or they won't know how to react and when I thought about it I realized no I'll be embarrassed so and I say this in all humility my greatest gift is my cooking and um, uh, especially when it comes to Greek food and uh, there are two my two speciality dishes are gleftigo say gleftigo that's it, which is lamb cooked in its own juices really slowly with oregano. Stunning. My other one is macaroni do furno. Say macaroni do furno. That's it. And, and I cooked those, so I decided I'm going to go for it. So I started cooking gleftigo and macaroni do furno for my neighbours. And I remember when I, I knocked on my neighbours one side and I said, here's a leg of lamb for you. They looked stunned. But do you know, then I went and I said, here's some macaroni to furno. And now I've been cooking for my neighbours up and down the street. I would just go there with bits of food and give it to them. Do you know, it's been transformational. After 20 years living in my street, I, they're all in touch with me. They ask me to pray for them, literally. Um, they're, they're, they're checking up on me. How are you doing? One of my neighbours saw I didn't have a wreath, a Christmas wreath on my front door, so she made me one. And I mean, I tell you, I walk down the road and everyone's saying hello. And it's so simple. It's so simple. 
just, just to give. Give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be. Let's live lives of generosity with one another and as the church with the world outside us. I know this is stuff that we know, but it's always good to remind ourselves again. And in the end, it all comes back to... I'm sorry, guys. I know you've had some great talks from some really top leaders, and mine are very simple because I'm a very simple person. This is very simple, but I hope it's not simplistic. It's about getting back to basics. Let's go for it as we look to the future, as we look to the future with the vision of the future. Let's give it everything, and let's live for Jesus. God bless you, my friends. It's a privilege and a joy to be with you. Amen. So Mike says that that was a simple message, but I think he's totally wrong. There was so much in there, and yet his message, well, I think it leads us towards a place of clarity around seeing that Jesus is the point of it all, and also setting our expectation of what kind of church should we be as we look to the future. I love that he touched on contemplation and the call to obedience. I love that in this time that there is an invitation for us to find our distinctive and alternative voice in the desert. There is so much in there. And yet, before we rush on with the rest of our day, I want to invite us to practice the act and the art of listening once again. I want to invite us to be like Elijah and as we long for Mark Carmel experiences, actually create a moment on this, our Sunday mornings, or whenever you're watching this, just to carve out a moment where we can ascend to Mount Horeb again and to listen out for the gentle whisper of the Lord. And so can I invite you, just for a few moments, just to rest in this present moment, can I invite you to close your eyes before we wrap up this morning? Can I invite you also to open out your hands, just in the posture of receiving? And can I invite you to be still? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to us right now, Lord, in the gentleness of this moment, in the quietness of our homes or the spaces that we find ourselves. Lord, we're here to listen to you. Speak. Your servants are listening. We're not just listening for a word, but we're listening to an order to obey. So come and speak to us, Lord. As we just continue to wait, um, some of you might find a scripture coming to mind. Some of you might sense that there's a word or a series of words or even a picture that is just coming to the forefront of your mind. Just rest there with that. Don't overthink it.
just embrace what Jesus is saying to you right now. For others of you, there might be a person that has appeared at the forefront of your mind, somebody in our community or somebody that you're connected with in your life. And as we wrap up in a few moments, can I really encourage you to practice the generosity of encouragement? Text that person, reach out to them, call them. But as I was listening to Mike this morning, I was reminded um, of the words of a friend of ours, uh, Mark Sayers, who leads a church in Melbourne, Australia, who, in looking to the church of the future, the church post-lockdown, he says that it will be defined by a cohort of people who are holy, who are humble, and who are hungry. Holy, humble, and hungry. That is what the church of the future looks like. A church that longs to embody the ways of Elijah, and John the Baptist longing to decrease so that Jesus Christ may increase in our lives. And if you, this morning, want to respond, if you long to be defined by the holiness, the humility, and the hunger of Jesus and his ways, I want to pray for you. So if that is you this morning, in your home, wherever you find yourself right now, I want to invite you just to open your hands up and just to join me in a prayer. This is a prayer that we're going to be praying all this week as part of our Lenten offices. It's a Wesleyan prayer. It's a Methodist prayer, but it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of commitment to the ways of Jesus. I'm going to pray this for us. And as I pray this prayer, can I invite you just to say amen to it if you want to join in with Jesus in this this week. Let's pray. I am no longer my own, but I am yours, Lord Jesus. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or led aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. But I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. And now, gracious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the commitment and the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.